1: Hi, this is Nancy and you're listening to Aging Life Network. I'm your host and we are live today coming to you from Voice America. Welcome to my first show. This show is about exploring all aspects of the world of aging, both for you, the listener, and those you care about. I will be sharing this time with guests who are experts in the fields of healthcare, dementia, the law, medicine, and so much more. My goal is for you to leave this hour feeling more knowledgeable and confident in your ability to meet life's challenges and maximize quality of life for those you love. I will be here every Thursday live at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, and on the Health and Wellness channel with Voice America. You can then listen on my website. You can find me on my website, aginglifenetwork.com, or on your favorite podcast platform. So let's get started. I have some very special guests today joining me as we talk about a serious subject on everybody's mind these days, and that is COVID. I will be talking over the next hour with three experts in the fields of medicine, home care, assisted living, and memory care. My guests today are Lena Ernst, owner and operator, founder of Retreat Healthcare, Corey Nelson, owner of stellar senior housing experts, and physician Dr. Bruce Mann. For six months now, life as we know it has changed dramatically. For those with family members over the age of 65, it has become a time of separation. Seniors from adult children and grandchildren, friends from friends. For many seniors, it is now a world of minimal contact with others. Groceries and medications being delivered to the home, and a time of learning new technologies to collect to connect with loved ones. But for many families, loved ones are living in facilities and receiving care at home, uh, continuing to require care, and there are ongoing concerns about safety related to community living and caregivers coming and going In many instances, those seniors living independently continue to experience what we call events, falls with hip fractures, strokes, cardiac events, requiring hospitalizations and rehabilitation. As the old saying goes, life goes on. In these instances, families are suddenly faced with making decisions about home care, placement in facilities, or whether to move a loved one to a family's home in another state. My guests and I will be addressing your concerns today and helping us understand what protocols these entities, home care, facilities, et cetera, are following or should be following to keep your loved ones safe. At the end of the hour, I will be talking with Dr. Mann about the general protocols you should be following to keep your loved ones safe, especially when interacting with them and visiting with them in their home. My first guest, Dr. Lena Ernst, is owner, founder, and operator of Retreat Healthcare. She earned her PhD from UNM and uh, has been working as an educator and operator for 30 years in the field of aging. As an educator, she has focused on, um, and her expertise, is in the area of dementia and the neuropsychiatric features in dementia, as well as the challenges that caregivers face when caring for loved ones with dementia. Dr. Ernst um, is, again, the founder of Retreat Healthcare, which includes two assisted living communities, an advanced dementia specialty care center, a community-based hospice, and a non-medical home care company. Welcome, Dr. Ernst, and thank you so much for being my very first guest.
2: Good morning, Nancy. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Good
1: morning or afternoon.
2: (laughs) That's right. Wherever you are. are.
1: Um, So, we're going to talk about a serious subject today, and um, you have a lot of information for us. So, I'd like to just simply start by asking as the owner of a private non medical home care company and assisted living facilities, uh, what sort of protocols, what has changed for your organization in the last six months in terms of safety protocols and what have you put in place to ensure the health and safety of those you provide services sure.
2: to? Well, thank you for asking. Um, In in some ways, it's an enhancement of what was already being done. And in other ways, it is absolutely new as as COVID-19 is new for all of us. So it started in February and it has only grown and changed literally weekly um, as we learn more and more about this particular um, novel virus. And as we learn how to both protect workers, staff, but but. Those those residents and their families. I think that home care and facility care and hospice um, have similar themes that we've all shared in terms of how to cope with this, but in some ways there are some, some small differences. In general, these, these themes that we have lived by, and we've done this by developing response plans, response action plans, um, and, and I think that is an initial good question, whether you're looking at a facility or at a home care Um, does your agency that you're considering um, have a response plan? Those response plans really focus operators, owners, agency directors to think about the big picture and to bring that down to task-by-task changes that need to happen in order to keep people safe. Generally, these four or five themes would fall around basic knowledge basic knowledge of the of the virus of COVID-19 and using appropriate sources uh, to gather that knowledge CDC their local state departments of health um, uh, public health agencies you want to know as much as you can about it you want to be able to disseminate appropriate knowledge to your staff and to families and residents or patients that you're working with and you want to keep abreast of the changes because, as I said, since uh, February, there have been um, multiple changes or uh, revisions to what the best practices might be. So, so having somebody in an organization that's very connected to uh, the The best knowledge becomes super important during these times. The second theme is really around training. Once you have that knowledge, how how do you get that knowledge out and in, uh, in everyday behaviors, especially for staff. And So, training in a healthcare facility may be different in an assisted living or a nursing home than it might be out in the field in home care. So, these questions that families would ask or inquire about, which is how, how do you train your staff? What, what are the topics they're being trained on and, and how do you get that information out? In home care, we use a lot of technology to do it. We use apps uh, caregivers who carry smartphones, who have apps that are feeding information and allow them to interact with a home base. Because they're in the field, we need to have constant communication and get them the information where they are, which can be anywhere in a community. In a facility, you're able to do it on site with the expertise of physicians and, and nurses and doing small group individual group and we use web-based knowledge uh, systems so that they also are sort of constantly being updated with the best practice. So training becomes uh, a key component in evaluating is a facility or is a home care uh, on top of these these, uh, bits of information that we're getting and are they training their staff to use them appropriately. That third theme that we really focus on and have been probably uh, on a daily basis since this all happened, the first part of 2020 is in this area of infection control. We think of that Uh, surrounding sanitation, cleaning, hand washing, um, how to use what we call PPE, the personal protective equipment, face masks, gloves, gowns, N95 masks, even beginning with the difference between do you use a homemade mask, a surgical mask, or an N95 mask. These are all uh, questions people have, both families, families, uh, residents, clients, and staff. And you need, uh, from an agency perspective, a key team in our facilities, uh, our organization. It's key teams made up of physicians, educators, uh, nurses, and family members to all have voice into what we know about the virus and how best to implement these kinds of of. Changes in our behavior, so infection control um, has become super important. This this also deals with this issue of screening staff before they come on. How do we how do you, do you evaluate symptoms? Do you, do you know what the symptoms are, and what do those symptoms tell you in terms of risk of either potentially uh, having COVID nineteen, being exposed, or if it's some of those other. Uh, viruses that are still out there. COVID-19 is not the only thing making people sick. And we, ne- we have gotten good at trying to differentiate what the symptoms might be telling us to get folks appropriate treatment and to help with uh, um, lowering the spread. There's a lot of questions around testing. And this is a state by state issue. Every state's going to be a little different. And so um, having an organization be very familiar with their own state's Uh, access to testing. In 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 my particular state, in New Mexico, we have a very accessible testing program. Any essential worker, especially healthcare workers who work with the elderly, we have very quick daily access to testing and have used it in order to help make decisions. Uh, We do a lot of surveillance, which is looking for the virus even without symptom. Because of that huge asymptomatic population that we're aware of, and then I think the this last area that we've been uh, spending a lot of time on—again, it's not new but enhanced—is this area of case management or care management. So when we when we learn about symptoms, when we're looking for potential risk, when we are implementing heightened. Uh, changes in sanitation and infection control, all of these things really come down to each individual resident or client and and what is is their particular care plan or treatment plan, what is their risk, and how are we managing uh, Mm -hmm. what we see for that person. Mm -hmm. So I think case management has become uh, very integral in both facilities and home care.
1: So an expansion of the traditional in-house care plan to include other psychosocial, biopsychosocial factors.
2: It is. It's all of it, mm-hmm. and it is. It is uh, very much anticipating um, if we see. Let's talk about the. You know, fever. We're all being screened everywhere, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yes. What What is Uh, a fever mean and it's not just a yes or no if you have a fever you do or do not have x y or z it's really gathering data and using that data to tell us risk factor and to tell us action plans that have been pre-designed protocols so that we are both attending to the needs of that patient but also we are being very aware of these issues of cross-contamination and spread specifically with COVID-19.
1: And of course, you know that a f- fever in a senior doesn't simply mean COVID.
2: That's right. It we, can
1: mean many other, many other possibilities.
2: Isn't that so true? And so that mm-hmm. is part of that training and education that we don't just live in COVID-19 world. We are still worried and care, especially as seniors are becoming more isolated because they are in their homes or they're in, in quarantine or they're in rooms because groups have been uh, eliminated in many long-term care settings we, we worry about depression dehydration falls and in in the world of dementia this uh, this really reverse sort of uh, environmental, Uh, a reality, which is uh, keeping people from each other, which in a dementia care center is the antithesis of how we really normally care for them. So there's been a lot of changes um, on that end.
1: Correct. Yes. And have things begun to loosen up somewhat as you've become more, you, your staff, um, become more educated about spread and about... Um, infection? Are you able to do things differently than we might have done four months ago?
2: I think in both the home care world and the facility world, it is it is much different than even three or four months ago. Um, knowledge is power. And so as we have learned so much more about it, there is an ease about what we do for a, on a daily basis. We know our jobs. We know what we need to get done. But the the heightened anxiety, perhaps around it, has has minimized greatly, which is great because we were always also worried about the well-being and mental health of our our staff, who in the very beginning, when there was little information, was still going into homes, going into facilities to do their job because they knew that they needed to do that. So, in the home care field, yeah. uh, there is a greater acceptance that that you're going to go into homes, that we're gonna use good infection control and we can still keep people safe and yet provide direct care or companionship care at home. In the facilities, it is uh, very well um, accepted that if we can practice all the behaviors we've learned about social distancing when you can, good infection control, use of PPE, we can minimize the the risk and we can keep ourselves uh, safe. And yet we are healthcare workers. We accept a certain amount of risk. And if we or uh, a patient were to uh, contract the virus or get sick with other things, we have protocols uh, to be able to continue to do our work and yet keep others safe. It, it, it's, it's, I think, why we call healthcare workers' heroes, because they just know we're going to keep on doing what we've got to do, even when other people are scared. And, and rightly so, it doesn't mean you're not frightened, but you get that information, you get the training, and you continue in a more confident style. So I think we're all more confident and more comfortable with the work we've continued to do.
1: And so um, in terms of, you know, what families should be asking about um, in summary, you've talked, you've provided us three points. Um, how are they responding um, to, uh, how are they training their staff? And um, and what was the third point? What are well, we doing today, really?
2: Uh, yeah, I think infection control and infection training control. And, and the response plan. But I think from a family perspective, what we have... Uh, felt the most and heard from them the most is this um, difficulty of being distant in the home mm-hmm. in the home mm-hmm. environment they mm-hmm. may still be going in they need to or they want to but they're learning how to do that and and to keep people safe in facility environments in many states it is still prohibited so what I would say is um, get on your Department of Health or public health websites in your yes. particular state see what your governor or your health uh, health directors are saying and follow follow that information as facilities we give the information out to families it is a requirement but families can also access that information on their own stay very connected with your healthcare facility if they are not communicating well they should be and every state has a ombudsman program which are your advocates for patients or residents in healthcare and and talk to those advocates and and ask uh, to have assistance in mediating for more information. I have found that if you communicate if you over-communicate, you're going to be better off. I would say the biggest issue for families has been the separation from being able to come into facilities or have direct access to their loved ones and their concern about whether that loved one's well-being, not just medical care, not just are they eating enough or ha- having help with showers, but what is their... Um, their psychological well-being? What is their attitude? Right. Who's mm-hmm. who's touching them? Who's holding mm-hmm. their hand? These are the things that families have great concern about right now.
1: Yes, and um, and for some time, we didn't even have ombudsmen going into facilities um, here in this state, probably in other states, and I know that that has changed recently. It,
2: it's changing, and mm-hmm. so we Everybody, all agencies, including our state agencies, are still using a lot of virtual technology, and it's mm-hmm. it's appropriate and it works, but there is now a movement toward it's time to start re-entering facilities, use, again, all these things we've learned of appropriate hand-washing, PPE, mm-hmm. and distancing, and there is a way to start phasing in more uh, involvement and interaction and starting to be uh, a greater advocate for the the clients in facilities. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Well, and we'll talk with Corey a little bit about choosing facilities and Dr. Mann a little bit about um, the healthiest environments. but but just to, to close that loop, um, if a facility has an outdoor space, I know that people are becoming more comfortable doing visits that way.
2: Yes, again, every mm-hmm. state is different, and some states mm-hmm. have been doing it now for some time. My particular state just started. Some require a very set kind of uh, environmental setups. Our state in New Mexico, we have cubicles and, and plexiglass separations, and they're very well uh, detailed out what you need to do your outdoor visits. Other states may have other requirements, so it is really being familiar with your particular states uh, uh, and, and that's appropriate because every region, every part of the country may have different risks and, and even within different cities, there's different risk factors. So keeping on top of that information, following the rules is what we always want to, to say. Um, the the, the guide, guidance is there for a reason to keep people safe and we want people to follow it um, and mm-hmm. that's from a facility side but also from the general population side.
1: Well, and we're going to come back to this, Lena.
2: Sure. I'm here when you need me. (laughs) Okay.
1: Um, We're going to take a break, a short break, and we will be right back.
0: This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Lena Ernst, founder of Retreat Healthcare, and we have been discussing Uh, safety protocols in uh, assisted living, memory care, and home care with our loved ones. Thanks for joining me, Dr. Ernst. Sure. Happy Um, to be here. So, um, you know, you talked a lot about, uh, you know, we hear a lot about CDC guidelines and What people should know is that you can actually go on the CDC website and find guidelines for care providers um, and and have things listed for you so that when you are out in the community uh, searching for uh, the best places to place your loved one or companies uh, to come in and provide care, you'll have some sort of outline of what to be looking for.
2: Yes, and, and there are a lot of user-friendly uh, uh, bits of information on there. It is not all medical or highly theoretical. There's checklists and basic steps and um, graphics, uh, videos. So, it is, um, it's a really great website to get, get the, the latest information um, that you can trust.
1: Yes. Well, I thank you for joining us today. It's been, you've been very informative and um, fair warning to my guests. You will probably be a regular on the show because you are a wealth of uh, really good information for us. Uh,
2: Thanks for doing this. There are so many families that that want information. And so it's a wonderful service. I'm happy to be here.
1: And I know you enjoy educating families. So. We are, we are on the same page. Um, I'm Thank you, Dr. Ernst. Um, I'm going to turn to uh, Ms. Corey Nelson, who is my guest from the world of placement services and housing of seniors. And um, I will tell you that Corey Nelson is the owner and founder of Stellar Senior Housing Experts. Um, she's been helping seniors and their families find placement in, in New Mexico for 10 years. She has 20 years' experience working with older adults in healthcare and is uniquely qualified to guide families through the incredibly challenging and emotional process of finding placement for their loved ones. Welcome, Corey. I uh, appreciate you joining me today. Thank you for having me, Nancy. So, um, what what do you see happening out there? Um, obviously, as I mentioned in my intro, life goes on. People are still um, needing services such as assisted living and home care. And you are you're on the front ground uh, on the on the front of the line, working with families who are. Uh, pretty stressed out during this Mm -hmm. time Um, you know people are opting to rehab at home sometimes rather Mm -hmm. than go to go to nursing facilities Um, so talk a little bit about what's going on in your world and the world of families
3: yeah we are definitely there is still a need for our services and people are still definitely needing placement and expertise that options such as Lena's provide. Um, But we're also seeing a lot of families caring for their loved ones at home because they can right now or at least a a few months ago or a couple of months ago they could care for their loved ones at home because maybe they weren't working or working you know they were working from home so they could meet the needs of their loved ones at home so we're seeing families opt to do just that and a lot of times I just can't be anything but respectful of their decisions because I I might very well look to do much the same because of the the really stringent restrictions right now in assisted living that are very necessary. But as Dr. Ernst was talking, you know, are very detrimental to the population that we serve at Stellar, which is primarily those with memory impairment, cognitive deficits and, and the things that they need most in, you know, an assisted living type setting, memory care type settings, mm-hmm. so, such as social, you know, opportunities mm-hmm. um, and no isolation. <laughs> That's right. a lot of what is sadly, you know, being required right now to keep COVID at bay.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And and the reality is that um, not everyone can do that if their loved one um, has a particular need that That goes beyond what can be provided either by them uh, or -hmm. another family member, or um, simply, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, they can't afford the number of hours required. So assisted living becomes an option, um, certainly. And, uh, or they may have brought them home and realized that they can't manage.
3: Yep, it is just a necessity, and they do just Mm -hmm. sadly have to, you know, Mm -hmm. work within. The confines of the regulations right now. So yeah, which currently, at least in our state, as you were speaking, you know, is allowing one outdoor visit per member per of the family per month, and that has only been allowed for two to three weeks now. So. Things are kind of starting to open up, but it's been really hard on families where they don't have access to their loved ones.
1: So what are the things um, that people are looking for um, when they outline to you um, their interests that might be different than what it was prior to six months ago?
3: You know... I think they definitely are concerned about options you know following the the protocols right now and we're very careful at Stellar after 10 years of business to only work with options that we believe before COVID and now with COVID um, do follow the regulations so that we can ensure that they're going into safe environments um, to begin with but you know the most important thing for us at Stellar always is getting the social fit right for um, for our clients. And that's sadly something that is really not something we can consider as much right now. We're, you know, just trying to get the right fit based on the clinical needs of our clients and, and, um, mm-hmm. and their physical needs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So sadly, a lot of the things that are normally very important for families, and we're looking at those things very, you know, like the social needs, for right, example, right. you know, mm-hmm. that's just those aren't considerations right now, or I they're see. at least not the top priority. Unfortunately,
1: right. right? People aren't worried about activity calendars as much, although, right. although mm-hmm. I would imagine that there are activities still going on. They're just different activities.
3: Yes, yes. small group activities mm-hmm. with socially mm-hmm. distanced protocols in place. Yes,
1: I see, and so. Um, what are you looking at to determine that a facility has appropriate protocols? I mean, I'm hearing you say yeah. that you like to work, you know, even prior to COVID you had certain facilities that you thought followed regulations and um, quote, did a good job. Mm-hmm. But, um, but what are you looking at now that might be different? And um, how are you helping families make those differentiated determinations is it based on cost now or um, or are you still looking at size a facility um, you know the social piece assuming someday there will be a social piece? <laughs>
3: Yeah, right? So the first thing we always do with our clients, we look at our, our clients as very much individuals. They're all very unique with different needs, right? And so we ascertain what are their physical, clinical, cognitive, and social needs? What is their financial situation? And where in town does it make most sense for them to live? And then we you know, are looking at assisted livings that can meet and are the best matches for all of those needs. And then within the process of doing the actual placement, we're educating our clients on what is going on in terms of the regulations. There is going to be a two week quarantine upon movement move in. And then there will be socially distanced, but still some programming, but it's more limited. You know, they're also going to, um, you know, they're just, anyhow, we're helping to coordinate all of that. And then we're also very much helping the assisted livings to ensure, you know, continued success and continuing to keep COVID at bay by ensuring that they're getting all of the documentation that they need upon admission to ensure Mm -hmm. that the individual That's coming to them. The resident that is moving in does not have COVID. They have a negative COVID test result that is very recent. It's not from two weeks ago, you know, when the test was accomplished, Um, but it's really very recent test results. So again, we're helping the family member to have confidence in the option because they're demanding those kinds of requirements upon admission um, and, and just making sure too that their loved one is safe moving into a kind of assisted living environment.
1: Okay. And are you seeing any trends, um, families? uh, We've talked a little bit about families moving um, loved ones home um, are you seeing any trends toward families trying to move loved ones to other states to be closer to them?
3: Yes, absolutely, although that's more and more challenging right now, too, with travel mm-hmm. limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're still very often, you know, helping people. And that's, that's been one of the biggest clients that we've had is loved ones, family members that are out of state, but they have their older adult senior here in the state of New Mexico. They can't travel to be here. So we're helping them find placement from afar.
1: So That's you're calling a huge
3: trend that we've seen.
1: So you're contacting colleagues in other cities and states who are placement specialists or perhaps care managers or someone who can help the family with placement.
3: That for sure, sometimes, but mm-hmm. more often we have, you know, the son and daughter that are in California, but their loved one is here in New Mexico, and we're helping to bridge the gap, you know, from a, a big distance, which we don't normally do. Families normally come into town. It's oh, I a boots see. boots on the ground kind I of see. process where they'll mm-hmm. help, they're helping to find a placement. And they mm-hmm. are going into communities with us. They're touching. They're smelling. They're seeing. Correct, I see. And they're not able it. to do any of that right now. And they're right. leaning on us heavily. They're relying
1: on you. Yes. 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 I get a lot it. Of
3: pressure, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but and that is one thing that mm-hmm. I think I would most highly recommend to anyone, you know, in any market that they find. A wonderful, you know, local placement agency that's trustworthy, experienced, you know, and has lots of, you know, years under their belt to help them through this process that's difficult any nor- during a normal time, but it's 10 right. times more difficult now. And sure. it's so much more important to ensure that they are going into a, a very trusted environment, assisted living that has all of the protocols in place to best keep their loved ones safe so that their loved ones here in New Mexico or in the assisted living are sleeping well at night and their family members out of state as well. Everyone deserves to have the best quality of yes.
1: life. Well, it's a wonderful service. Um, I will say that um, how senior housing placement specialists, it is a, new area of practice last 10 years or so, and um, most um, provide the service at no cost. They're reimbursed by the facilities for their work, and it's certainly something that families should know about. So I appreciate you joining us and talking a little bit about what's going on out there, Corey. um Absolutely. and, and I, um, I hope to see you back again. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Nancy. You bet. Um, We're going to very briefly um, take another break. I will say that um, um, you can find this show on aginglifenetwork.com, my website, on your favorite platform. And you can also, I am welcoming um, questions, thoughts, and also suggestions. For topics of interest by all of you, um, because this is what it's really about—is get, getting you the information that you're interested in hearing about. So please take a moment, if you will. Nancy at AgingLifeNetwork.com. I'm happy to personally answer all of your questions. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll be back in a few moments with Dr. Bruce Mann.
2: America is on your favorite smart speaker if you have Alexa or Google Home go ahead and give us a try hey Alexa
0: play finding your frequency podcast on TuneIn. are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step is your family in crisis do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need.
4: Opinions,
1: options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Hi, this is your host, Nancy Oriola, and uh, we are back at Aging Life Network with Voice America. I appreciate you joining me today uh, for this very somber and informative um, subject uh, around COVID and keeping our loved ones safe um, with home care and facilities. I would like to end the show today talking about um a very funny fellow, so um, we'll, we'll try to keep it down a little bit. But um, Dr. Bruce Mann, who is a board-certified internist and fellow of the American College of Physicians. Dr. Mann is formerly an academic researcher in nutrition and epidemiology with several several published articles to his credit, Dr. Mann received his M.D. at the University of California, San Diego, and served as resident chief resident and on the faculty of the University of New Mexico School of Medicine. More recently, he has worked extensively in the Medicare arena with Medicare beneficiaries appealing Medicare coverage decisions He is currently educating people about COVID-19 on his YouTube channel called MAN, that's M-A-N-N, MAN on Med. Welcome, Dr. Mann. Thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Thank you, Nancy, for having me.
1: So um, we've heard a lot, and I would love to... Kind of piggyback off what was being talked about, but I also want to just start with some of the basics, if you don't mind. Um, it's become clear to me that not everyone understands the importance of wearing a face mask. And I'm wondering if you might explain to our listeners why it's so important if they, you know, in keeping our loved their loved ones safe, our loved ones safe why it's so important to wear a mask. Can you speak to that?
4: Yes, and it absolutely is. But let me, let me just start by saying um, how much sympathy I have for anyone who is in the position uh, that your listeners probably are. I, my parents spent the last years of their lives in a nursing home. My mom spent the last 10 years after a stroke and bilateral amputations. My dad spent the last year of his life on a ventilator, in a ventilator-specific nursing home, uh, mm. all of this in another state. Mm. And I would have killed to um, have had Dr. Ernst or Ms. Nelson or your advice at the time. Even in the best of times, pre-COVID, uh, it, this is a remarkable challenge, and I just want everyone to know how sympathetic I am for anyone dealing with this, and for any of the clinicians who are on the front line. Whether you're a nurse aide or a pharmacist at a Walgreens or a doctor, you guys are really doing—you uh, guys are really doing heroes' work. Okay, first, I need to explain because people don't seem to get science. And I think the media portrays those of us in science as having magical answers. We don't. Picture a block of marble and Michelangelo seeing, I don't know, David. He sees that in there, but that's a block. So he gets there by slowly chipping away at the block. And that's what science does. Science slowly gets closer to understanding. By slowly... Typically, that's over a 100 years or 200 years, maybe over a few years. The SARS-CoV virus, to the best of our knowledge, appeared in late 2019. We have had six, seven, eight months to understand a brand new virus. Every month, we get closer and closer to understanding more about it, but it still remains largely a mystery. One of the key issues that have happened is our understanding of how it's transmitted and this will get to why masks are important what we know now or what we are very close to understanding is that this virus which is maybe a hundredth the size of a human hair is transmitted from droplets these droplets come out of your nose and your mouth they come out when you talk They come out when you sing. They come out if you shout. They come out if you cough. And they come out if you sneeze. Coughing and sneezing sends them the farthest. The size of the droplet can be large enough that it falls out of the air. Those are called droplets because they're droplets. Very small droplets we call aerosols. And they can actually travel and remain in the air. We know droplets carry SARS-CoV-2, that's the virus that causes COVID-19. So I'll just call it COVID-19. But we don't really know if those small droplets, the aerosols, carry the virus. However, there is now at least three good observational studies suggesting it does, including one from the Netherlands that shows that the virus has been found in air conditioning system in a nursing home. So what that means is that it is best for us to assume that droplets of any size might carry the virus. Now they might not carry enough virus to do any harm, but we we have to act on uh, caution. This is what our state has done. You can look at states around us and see what happens when you do not act on the basis of caution. Okay, so now these droplets are coming out of your nose and your mouth. And you don't want anyone else to get sick. Well, if you're sick, you'd wear a mask, which would be great if you knew you were sick. But here's the deal. You could have COVID-19 and not know it. Anywhere from 30 to 40% of people, at the time they are spreading the virus, have no symptoms. So any of us could be spreading symptoms. So the best idea is that all of us wear a mask. And it is absolutely clear from dozens of publications that if everyone wears a mask, or even if 80, 90% of people wear a mask, the virus would basically be stopped in its tracks. Well, I don't have to tell people that wearing masks has become a ridiculous political issue. The other aspect is that what we are learning is that even if you were to contract COVID-19, the mask reduces what we call the inoculum. That's a fancy word, meaning the number of virus particles. So Mm -hmm. if it reduces the number of virus particles you take in, you probably won't get as sick. The evidence is overwhelming, at least to me and to colleagues you should be listening to, like Dr. Fauci and Ajish Jha at uh, Harvard, now Brown, that masks prevent transmission. So certainly in public, you want to be wearing a mask. And Nancy, we can talk a little bit about how to kind of adjust this in uh, various settings, but masks are the number one best thing you can do. And uh, the second best thing you can do is remember that droplets can spread. So you stand away from people. We say six feet; it's an arbitrary distance, but that's a good way to remember it. So, if you stand away from people and you wear a mask, and everyone does that, we won't be spreading COVID-19.
1: Well, and the six feet allows the droplet to drop prior to entering your body, correct?
4: Right. That, um, yeah. It's it's a two part. It's kind of two part. The the mask. Most masks, and I mean a layered mask, not a surgical mask, which doctors use and nurses, et cetera, and not an N95 mask, which is used when you're taking care of COVID-19 patients, but a cloth mask. It should be cloth tightly fitting and at least two layers thick. Those droplets will escape, but they'll escape at low velocity and kind of fall around you uh, at most. But if you aren't wearing a mask or someone isn't wearing a mask, these droplets can spread up to 24 feet, depending on how they come out, a sneeze will send it quite far. Mm. Uh, Talking like I am now, probably not as much. The other aspect of this is if the droplet falls on a surface, so you're coughing, a person coughs onto a handrail and then another person touches that handrail. While we don't know for sure, it's so possible that you could pick up the virus that way that we also emphasize hand hygiene, preferably using hand washing. There's a a method the CDC recommends. I like the method that the World Health Organization recommends. All of those you can find easily at their websites. And to do the same thing with hand sanitizer, which is now widely available as distilleries have converted from making uh, alcohol drinks into hand
1: sanitizer. (laughs) Yes, okay. And um, so it, it, there are different types of masks, and um, it, it sounds like, so you've given a good description of what can happen with the different types of masks. Um, for instance, I might wear a surgical mask um, in you know visiting with friends in an outdoor setting which is a little more comfortable than an N95. But when I go into a grocery store, I typically will wear an N95 just for that additional protection. Is that, am I just making that up?
4: The true N95 mask, which is technically called an mm. N95 respirator. That's true, Yeah, Should not yeah. actually be used by anybody other than healthcare personnel. They're in right. very limited supply. Right. The I'm other thing about an N95 mask mm-hmm. is that uh, it, it really isn't an N95 mask unless it's been tested on an individual. There are many different shapes of faces and shapes of masks. That said, mm-hmm. there is an equivalent called the KN95, KN95, right. yes, which that's is widely I mean, available mm-hmm. uh, and work just as well. And... Uh, if if you're if you can afford getting them because they're not necessarily cheap but they're available on Amazon and so on, mm-hmm. make sure they're from a reputable uh, source. Which again you can you can find online how to find a reputable source. Um, I use those as well when uh, they will afford the maximum amount of protection to me. But any face mask protects others.
1: Well, you know, Dr. Mann, we we were afraid that um, we wouldn't have enough to talk about, and the time is simply flying by for us, but um, <laughs> um, I, I would also, um, in the minute or so we have left, um, ask um, the issue of aerosol, I, I, I assume means that visiting with a loved one outside versus in their home creates a little more safety. Yes?
4: We don't have science on that. Um, mm. To me, it is logical, but again, I am I'm talking about me, my personal opinion, that maintaining physical distance with mask wearing as much as possible outside is logically going to expose us to less virus than if we are in an eight by ten room with no air circulation. Right. Yes.
1: Okay. And um, telehealth. on on the rise, people are using that more? Is it more widely available?
4: Simple answer given the time, and I'm trying to be (laughs) respectful for the bumper here up until they close, is yes. Uh, I think it'll be here to stay in some form, but personal interactions with physicians uh, will always be necessary. I cannot examine your lungs over the internet. That's
1: true, that is true. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Mann, for joining us. Um, And um, I also think you'll be a regular back with me. I particularly want to talk with you about some Medicare matters in the future, if you uh, would be so kind. So thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. And thank you to my listeners. Um, thank you for joining all of us today. Remember, you can hear this show on my website, aginglifenetwork.com, or on most podcast, po- podcast platforms. And I welcome you to send me your questions and suggestions for topics at nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Thank you again for joining us, and please have a great day.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.